listening to a Kink in the Chain podcast. Welcome to the Kink in the Chain podcast. I'm your host, Rope Squirrel. Sadly, Ritz Cracker couldn't be here today. You know, schedules and all. Today, I've got Amy. How you doing, Amy? Hi, I'm doing good. So glad to be here. We're very glad to have you, and I'm very excited to talk to you about a variety of things. First and foremost, I know you're kind of in the Great Lakes region. Where, where do you hail from? I currently live in South Bend, Indiana. Um, but I'm originally from the Chicago area, so my, I'm a city girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, the two of us got introduced somewhat, I guess, in it was kind of a tragic meeting, I suppose. <laughs> I was going to be at GLLA, which happens to be in Indianapolis, and uh, and Amy was as well. Uh, unfortunately, that event was canceled abruptly, so here we are. Uh, we're trying to salvage a situation where now we can we can talk to one another. Where we were originally going to interview you in person, which I was very much looking forward to. Um, so was I. So was I. Sadly, we're just going to have to do it here over the over the internet and a microphone. Yes. But it is what it is. Amy is a puppy play female, and she's lived in Chicago as a twenty four seven slave to a married couple for almost eight years. She also served a pro-dom and assisted them with their home business, which involves selling, was it comic books? Yes. Okay, comic books. And so you basically you just lived at home as a 24-7 slave. Correct. Awesome. She's been in the BDSM community for almost 30 years, so you, you're, you got me beat. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm hitting 20 years now, but uh, I've been at it for a while. And she's been part of the public leather community for almost 19 years. Wow. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be on here. <laughs> so first and foremost, um, I, I hear you're a bit of a puppy. <laughs> just just a little bit? It, the mortal enemy of my squirrel? <laughs> oh, I will chase and bite a squirrel. The only thing worse than that is a cat. There's a lot of them. There are. I do dress up as a squirrel and torment the puppies on occasion, so. Oh, oh. no wonder why I liked you right away, because <laughs> I could gnaw on you. <laughs> yes. I've got a giant full-size uh, or life-size squirrel tail that I wear, so I, I do literally look like a squirrel, so. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. Well, at, at some point we may meet again. Our, crass, our, yeah, our paths may cross again. I'll see that squirrel tail. I'll just bite it. Mm. <laughs> I got I got pretty injured at the last con I went to. I got torn up pretty bad by the puppies. Pretty, <laughs> but I had a good time. So uh, I will admit that um, I play rough on the mats, uh, pun intended, completely, and to the point where I've had handlers look at me and say, "No, Fifi, this is the gentle area. You need to go play over there." Is that your puppy and, name, Fifi? Yes, they call me the puppy Fifi, because the counts. <laughs> so, so what what do you do when you get into puppy space? How do you prepare for puppy space? What do you do? Oh, oh, for me, for me, I very easily get into puppy headspace when I put on my mitts. 
and they're these, uh, they're like gloves. Um, the first set I had covered my hand completely and actually locked onto my wrist, and they were padded, and when I crawl around on the floor, it protects my hands. And I recently got a new set at IML this year um, that were just phenomenal, and there's a blue paw print on the back of them, and they're so I can knuckle walk, because the way I walk is with my knuckles down as I'm crawling across the floor. So for me, when I put on those mitts, it's immediately in my head, I am a smartass, I am all sorts of in the mood to roughhouse and to play and to bite and chew, and it's so much fun. So I I love my mitts. Um, They're what really gets me going. That and a good squeaker toy. I mean, gotta love those. (laughs) I, I I love to cause chaos on the puppy mat. I'll go to the, the dollar store or the pet store and just buy like a bag of squeaker toys and literally just throw them out like I'm throwing a chaff, like trying to dodge puppies. Just like, you know, whoo, run! <laughs> like, I am the squirrel with the toys. Oh, oh yes. Oh, and we go after those too and slobber everywhere. I have a, I have a picture from me. I was at one of the first puppy moshes at IML. It was like 2004 or two, IML 2003, and uh, I'm on the, on the mats. Well, there's no mats even at that point in time, so we're just on, on the carpet in the hallway, and I've got my mitts and this squeaker boot hanging out of my mouth, and it cracks me up because it's like, oh, there was a completely glazed look on my face because I was just happy as all get out to have this squeaky boot hanging out of my mouth. <laughs> That sounds like fun. Yes. Oh, puppy play is so much fun. It's it's energetic and it's, um, like, I guess the word, uh, for, for me, it's it's cathartic. It, I hate to say that word, but that's the right word. It, it lets me get out all the aggression and all the stuff in just this fun way. Um, I was at IPAW this year in Indianapolis. And like I said, I like to play rough, which means I'll wrestle and I will fight and, and chew and, and really wrestle on the ground. And a lot of the other puppies don't necessarily like to do that. And I'm not a small little tiny puppy. Um, but there was a puppy at IPAW that totally, uh, wrestled me to the point where I had to tap out and, uh, when I got done, I just sat back and just had this giant grin on my face because it was so amazingly relaxing. I mean, if you call wrestling on the ground with somebody who don't even know who they are, because most of the guys all wear uh, face masks sure. or puppy hoods. And um, when I got into puppy play, because I got into puppy play back in uh, 2002, 2003, and puppy hoods really weren't a thing. Um, there were, I saw puppy hoods, but they were used a lot like in a dungeon to humiliate a slave. Like he was not worth anything more than a, a dog or, you know, um, but puppy hoods for play, for doing, you know, pet play and animal play were are relatively new. Um, so I never had a puppy hood 
for me, I always used, I always had my hair up in ponytails on top of my head, and those were my ears. And it was my mitts, my knee pads, and my ears. And that's how we knew I was in puppy mode. Um, but now these guys all wear hoods, and I don't know who they are in real life. So I found, um, I've been wrestling on the floor with people and just having a great time. And, you know, they start calling, okay, it's time to, everybody starts to relax. It's, I crawled over to the side, I sat down on, on a bench, and the two guys I had been wrestling with came over and sat next to me and took their hoods off, and I realized I had never met them before. I totally thought they were two different people. And I, all I could do was like, hi, I'm, I'm Amy, I'm the puppy Fifi, nice to meet you. Thanks <laughs> for letting me beat on you, I don't know. <laughs> so... I love puppy play. I've always always thought if you're having a bad day, just go stare at the puppy pit at a local dungeon or or a convention. Just you'll just cheer right up because you're they're always oh. so happy. Yes, and the howling, the howling is fun. <laughs> I I even howl as the squirrel. I howl in solidarity, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate it. Yes, and then they chase me and and beat me up. Yeah, but, you know. Hey, that's a thing. <laughs> yes, it's a thing. I've I've always said if I'm wearing my squirrel tail and walking around the puppy pit, I kind of asked for it, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did, you did. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be upset when somebody tackles me. So no, not at all. That's what uh, that's that I've been put on a lead for chasing people around a a dungeon before, interrupting scenes. It's really bad. It's really bad. So if I were to see your squirrel tail, yeah, I would totally have to say I'd probably chase you. Yes. Well, <laughs> well maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll, yes. we'll do that. Um, so a few other things I wanted to, to talk to you about before we move on. You were a slave assistant to a pro-dom. What, what was that like, out of curiosity? Very, very interesting. It meant that at any point in time any time of day or night relatively our plans could change if my owner got a phone call and we needed to do a session we would go and meet the client and do a session and sometimes I was there more as her bodyguard I'm just the the hired help that does the cleanup as a slave would do and sometimes I would be there to be a part of the session because the client was asking for more than one either pro dom or the client would want like a, a submissive to be alongside him. There were times where I also was the submissive for the session, like the person wanted to be the dominant and learn how to be a dominant over a submissive. In the pro-dom, pro-submissive side, that's very different from lifestyle. So in that world, you are serving that customer that's coming and paying you to beat them. I mean, so it's all about their wants and needs. And as a submissive, if my owner doesn't feel like spanking me for the evening, regardless of what I've done, good or bad, they're not going to spank me. But if I'm paying for services, that dominant has to take care of the needs of that person that's paying for it. So pro-dom is very different than lifestyle. However, there are things about it that are the same. You still get to wear the fun clothes, you know, the leather clothes, the high heels, the the fun collars. The you get to play with all the toys, and 
that was the really cool thing about it is that I got to play with all the toys. I've played with, you know, we had a full dungeon that had everything from, you know, crosses and spanking benches and chain walls and vac beds, saran wrap, cigar play, all the different stuff. And I've I've been able to experience that and find the different things that I like or don't like. Now, even if I didn't like something, that didn't necessarily mean I didn't have to do it. But because uh, when the pro dom tells you to do it, you do it. But at the same time, when my owner told me to do something, I did it. I was her slave all day and night. Out of curiosity, have you seen the Netflix series Bonding? Yes, it's so cute. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just thinking, it's like, that sounds very, I mean, it is, you were assistant to yes. a pro dom. So. Correct. <laughs> it is um it is it's really a cute show uh i like it is it's definitely a generation's view of what they think a pro dom is um at the same time some of the stuff that they experience is kind of spot on some of it's not <laughs> obviously it's a television show um but like i said there were times when i was there as a as a bodyguard basically because she needed to have somebody there to make sure she was safe I had to have somebody there with me to make sure I was safe because if somebody's paying to tie me up and spank me, I need to know that I can get out of it if something goes sideways. But most of the time it was fun. I'll admit that when I got, I had some regular clients that like to see me as their submissive because um, I take a lot of pain. So uh, we had lots of fun. So I was lucky in that respect. (laughs) So, Shifting gears just a little bit, I I wanted to talk about your local community where you are because I think I always like to hear people's perspectives about what's going on in their local community, and because I like to I like to showcase the positive elements. Of course, we'll talk about issues as well. But um, what do you think your local community is like most well known for? What's awesome about where you are right now? Um, what's awesome about right now is we actually. One of my favorite things right now is the submissive submissive support group. I don't necessarily like that we call it the submissive support group, but our submissive group is phenomenal. The girl that the woman that runs that group is protective, and she makes sure that like we keep the FetLife list cleaned up so that it's people who attend the meetings, and we get together once a month, and we get together and we eat, and we have topics, and we feel safe in that in the ability to talk about things that are going on with us. And yet afterwards we may go run out and see a movie together or we've gone and hung out together. So in, in my local community, I am so grateful for that munch or yeah, we, you know, the munch um, because I don't have a big community here. So the fact that I found a, a good sized group of, other submissives that I feel good going, hanging out with and talking with. I absolutely love that. Well, that's awesome. You've got such great things going on in your local community, but I would be amiss if I didn't ask if there was something that was bugging you about your local community. Um, I sometimes small communities can be so divisive and I live in South Bend, Indiana. We have Notre Dame university here. Unfortunately, that means I have a very 
large population of conservative people who will chat with you online on FetLife and say, well, no, they can't go to a munch because, well, they work in a conservative environment. And it's like, yeah, then I don't think I'm going to go out in public and meet you if you can't go out in public. So that's the hard part is getting people to understand that, you know, you can come to a munch. Nobody's going to tell on you. Yeah, I've always called that mutually assured destruction. Like, uh, I, I have a friend who's a school teacher who was terrified to go out to events for the same reason. I'm like, well, what if one of my parents or my the parents of my kids sees me there? I'm like, well, if they are there, they know what's going on. They're also in the kink community. And, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and anybody else, I mean, it's just a restaurant who, who you know, oh, you're sitting with a bunch of people. Whoop-de-doo, you know. Right. Luckily for us, the, the good news is that the, the, uh, we have to frequent Perkins because they all have these little side rooms that let us close the doors. So we get to go in the back room and close the door. It's not like anybody else is going to hear what we're saying. Yeah, and the only caveat, I guess, is the wait staff. But, you know, you just stop talking when they come in. Easy enough. Correct. That and when the wait staff starts to come to the munches when we're there. I uh, I was at a at a munch up in Canada. Every time the waitstaff wa- walked in, the 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 head of the the person who was running it basically went shh, and everybody quiet. I had to ask him later, what's going on? Well, we don't want them to know that we're all we're all kinky. Like, oh, okay, that seems pretty <laughs> restrictive, but all right. Is kind of the, the fact that convert. I'm sure they were curious about something when everybody suddenly stops talking the second every somebody comes in the room. It's like it's right, like like we're up to something illegal or something. But oh well, totally illegal. Yeah, right. No, we're not. It's, we're having a conversation. I tend to steer the topic like as soon as I see. Uh, so I I'm the leader of a, one of the munch groups in in our local community. I'm I'm one of the leaders of the group, and uh, so they always set me so that I can see the door. So when waitstaff comes in, I say, "So, what'd you get for a strawberry shake this week?" Keep the conversation going without it seeing com- seeming completely illicit. Yeah. Well, I can definitely see that being an issue in in a local in a very conservative um, area. That would I can understand it. I, I guess I'm lucky where I live that we tend to be a little, we're a very mostly liberal for the most part, so it's not nearly as big of a problem. Yeah, luck, lucky for you. Uh, I'm sorry, I have Pence. You can blame me for Pence. <laughs> <laughs> But I suppose that probably rolls a little bit into GLLA and how that all went down. Oh, that was, that's, it's really sad to hear that an event was canceled due to the behavior of one slave. And, and ultimately, it's not due to just that one person's uh, poor choice of topics and their behavior. Um, it was the fact that when somebody spoke up about it, so many other people came to the table and said, you know, I've, I've had that experience too. And that's really sad because GLA is for me, like my home leather family. So I competed for Great Lakes Leather Puppy in 2003 and I won that title. And I was the Great Lakes Leather Puppy 
and went to GLLA, and that was my first big leather event, and it was amazing for me, and it's always been a place that I could go and call home, and I met lots of people who are still friends of mine today, and that was, again, 16 years ago. And even for a while, when I I had to I left the public community for a while after my relationship with my owners ended, I was kind of broken. I was a broken puppy. I was a broken slave, and I needed to walk away and get my head together to know that I still wanted that I still wanted to serve, that I still wanted to be a part of the community. And when I decided to come back, the first person I called was Miss Kendra. And I said, I, I want to come back, and I'm scared, and I don't know what to do. And she said, you just come back. We're always here for you. So her arms were open to me. So it, I, to have that event canceled and not, you know, what was said was wrong. The, the statements that were said were wrong, and you can't question people like I don't want to get into the whole political side of it, but the fact that then can stuff continued to happen to the point where the people on the board were scared for their own safety. And I believe that because I don't believe they would, because that's a lot of money that you're putting down the drain. And I'm, I'm scared that it's never going to come back from that. I've seen another organization that was totally crushed by the actions of a slave and that's sad to me, and I want to see us do better. Like, GLA is my, my home leather family, and I don't want us to stop talking about it. I don't want this topic to be dropped because I want to see, okay, guess what? In September, I just canceled my vacation time, and now I've got to figure out something else I want to do, and it, it, it hurts. But I don't want people to stop talking about GLA because I think it's an important part of the community, it is a regional title organization, and it helps bring together so many people from all around the region. So there's so much good that that organization has done. I went to a discussion on living with AIDS at one of the GLLA events, and I had a great learning opportunity while I was there, and I learned a whole lot of stuff. And when I came back home, I sat down with my mom, who knows I'm kinky, but doesn't really know, <laughs> you know, it's my mom. She doesn't need to know all the details. But my mom's a nurse and has been a nurse my whole life. And I got to sit and have this incredible conversation with my mom about health and the risk and the things that can be done to mitigate risk. And I had that conversation with my mother. And she learned stuff from that. So to say that everything about GLA is bad is completely wrong. It was a great learning environment and I saw lots of people learn and get to experience things. So my hope is that GLA does not stop, that this year is just a break. So I hope to continue the conversation about GLA for the next year and I hope to continue to go down to Indianapolis and see it become something good that people are not scared to go to. And I think, yeah, obviously conventions are they're a great way to bring the community together they're a great way to get all those presenters from out of state and and big names that you can all go see it's a great time to have all the dungeon time and just it is sad when a event 
when things like this happen and the way that it escalated. And I, and I do understand why they felt that they needed to cancel it. Uh, admittedly, I mean, this is not, I mean, I don't blame them for this, but, you know, I, I bought non-refundable plane tickets and stuff like that, so I'm kind of upset, although thinking may just go visit Indianapolis I was going to anyway. say, you want to hang out in Indy, we uh, can have some fun! <laughs> and it's, um, you know, we all take time off, and, you know, it, it sucks when an event like this, something like this happens, and it's happened, it, it happens a lot. And I don't know if it's the same in your community, at least in my local community, whenever you step up as a leader you immediately start getting you get a target painted on your back and you start getting attacked from all angles and everybody's doing it under the guise of well they want to make sure the community is safe and and everything else so they got to question every little thing that you do and i am all for that but then it just doesn't stop right and it from what it sounded like with gla they got rid of uh, i think it was slave garrett yeah and they they kicked him off the 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 board but it, they apologized. It didn't help. They apologized. It didn't help. And it just kept escalating. People kept demanding more and more. Not saying that, you know, that they didn't need it. But at the same time, it seemed like it just kept escalating and eventually turned into death threats. Yeah. And the sad thing is, unfortunately, most people in the community don't understand that when somebody is the executive director of, of, an, of an event like that, that means they have legally binding contracts. So to be able to, so people were asking for the withdrawal of Kendra. And unfortunately, regardless of if they were going to do that or not, it couldn't have happened fast enough to have her off before GLLA. Legally, there were too many things. There are too many things that her name is signed to. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, you can't just say, "All right, I deputize you. Step up." Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then the whole uh, the whole thing in Texas, which I uh, which I read about, and. And uh, that your um, title holder in Texas and the statements that they made. And, of course, that led to what Slave Garrett said and everything else. Correct. So I was at IPAW as well, which is in Indianapolis. It's the International Pup and Handler Weekend. An amazing event. We had um, 20 contestants this year, which was phenomenal. And the International uh, Handler title was won by the handler from Australia, which is amazing. So for the first time ever, the international handler title is out is not on this continent. And so that is just a phenom phenomenal thing that came out of IPAW. Um, but aside from that, so they, the contest or the title holder from Texas was outside. Um, and uh, apparently Garrett decided to start making comments about stuff that was said during the, uh, keynote speech and the you know at most events the keynote speech is a very heartfelt empowering discussion and topic that is meant to bring your attention to something because when you have the opportunity to bring yourself up to plate to be a keynote speaker that's your job is to help shine a light on something of importance and we have so much stuff going on in this country today that needs to have a light shined on it and this speaker, this keynote speaker, did that and did a phenomenal job at it. The speech was amazing. And to have somebody in the community that is respected and a, a board member on another organization, to have them cast doubt on what that person was saying, that alone was inappropriate. You don't do that. And you don't do that in a public forum. 
regardless of how bad what he said was, the fact that he was doing that at all was wrong. So I understand, and I'm I'm grateful that Miss Texas Leather that she said something because she didn't have to, and she could have walked away scared. And this is not the time when we need to be walking away scared. We have to be able to stand up for ourselves. And there are people here, and like I'd be there for her. She was still planning to come to GLLA to be here as part of the stuff that she was going to do, and I was planning to be there with her. Well, it's unfortunate that the event had to be canceled for so many different reasons, and I, I do hope they come back next year. I, I haven't heard anything, but of course it's probably a little too fresh to, to figure out if they're going to do it again. I, I produce, uh, well, I, I co-produce an event, and then I produce an event, and so I do know, I, I do know how that feels, and and like I said, even here, I mean, the minute I took on those mantles, um, people started scrutinizing every little thing I've ever done. And rightfully so. But then it's like, give me a chance. Let me change. Right. <laughs> I apologize for what I did. Here's what I'm doing now. And thankfully, the community has been somewhat receptive to that. And the changes I've made, I think, have been for the better. But, um, yeah, you know, some other communities, they just want blood. Yeah. <laughs> And we all have we all have the ability to make a mistake, but we all deserve the opportunity to make a change. You know, I've screwed up enough stuff. God knows I've made my share of mistakes, but I would sure hope that somebody would let me try and make it right. For sure. And then, in, and then, obviously, if if you don't, then of course, then you know, bring out the torches and pitchforks. <laughs> you know, but um, give give people a chance to say, hey, this is a problem with with you, your events, your something like that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Or I'll change that. I am completely sorry. And boom, we, we move on from there. Um, so you're telling me I just got to make a mistake more than once to get a torch and a pitchfork? Uh, well, I mean, we, we hope. I don't know if it's a problem in your area, but because of the fact that targets get painted on backs, I have given people opportunities to be leaders in my local community. Um, but then the minute those assaults start coming, and, and those accusations, uh, those people say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this, and they step down. And yeah. So, and the problem is, is those very same people who are claiming, you know, I'm doing this so that we have good leaders aren't stepping up themselves. And so we're just losing events. It's just, you know, the people who say they're saving the community are actually destroying the community. I'm not saying leaders shouldn't be held accountable. They definitely should. Right. But, you know, give them a chance or run it yourself. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Be willing to step up and help. And that means more than words. That means you're going to put your money into it. That means you're going to put your blood, your sweat, your tears, your vacation time, your days off, your time with your family. All that goes into these events. Just for people to show up and enjoy, you know, three days of fun. Yeah, it takes months, of, if not years of planning. Yes. And and a lot of people don't understand that. So when they start attacking people, it's like, yeah, but do you want this event to happen or not? I mean, we'll make those changes, but I'm sorry. Let's move on. Right. right. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be hard to transition from this topic, but I'm going yeah. to, okay. um, <laughs> just because I think we could probably spend a, you know, a good two hours on this topic if we wanted to, but I did want to get into just a few more little, little things that uh, I want to talk to you about. And then we'll get to the viewer questions. Okay. Yes. 
so something that you and I were talking about in the pre-show was a little bit about the younger generation, that they have a different style of relationship than you're accustomed to, um, such as just basically they're just play partners all over the place, but they don't have any dedicated partners. What did you kind of mean by that? I was curious. So I've, I've seen a lot of people who, like, um, so I've considered myself polyamorous since I was 16. Um, I understood what that meant. I mean, I have multiple partner relationships. To me, everybody knew what was going on. And I see, but I was a pariah. To, to be poly in the 80s um, was a mess. Uh, and now I see so many people who talk about that they're poly. And I see a lot of people um, talk about being poly, and it's, it's like, oh, I see that you have, you have multiple play partners. Are you in any committed relationship with any of them? And so I, I see more polydynamic than um, one-on-one. And again, not that one-on-one is the way that it needs to be, because even I don't prescribe to that belief. But um, I'm surprised at how many people I see who are poly or have multiple partner relationships and multiple play partners and do a lot of playing with other people and then walking away. They'll just go try and play with me. And I want you to do this to me. Can you do this with me? Um, I'm surprised at how quickly people are, hey, I'd like you to tie me up. Oh, okay. Uh, You saw me do rope once. Okay, thanks. Um, So, like, for me, like, if I expect a dominant to do something with me, I expect that I should be giving something back to them as well. Like I'm serving them on some level because they're taking the time and the energy to beat me the way I want to be beaten. And um, I had a conversation once with somebody who was like, well, and this person was speaking to me knowing full well that I constantly walk in and say, I'm a slave. So I'm the submissive. I'm the one who gets tied up and beaten. I'm the one who does the manual labor. That's, that's my gig. That's my deal. And they're they're talking to me like, oh, uh, well, would you would you tie me up and spank me? And I kind of looked at them like, what are you going to do for me? And they're like, well, what do you mean? What am I going to do for you? Like, yeah, I'll tie you up and spank me. Why don't you come over and vacuum my house for me? Well, why would I need to do that? Don't you want to try it? And I'm like, I could go spank anybody I want to spank if I really want to. <laughs> but why should I spank you? <laughs> So that was kind of a, an odd conversation for me to have because they were very almost like they didn't under and, and you know what maybe they just didn't understand. Hey, when I say I'm a slave, it means I don't I don't go that other side of the fence really. Like there's a lot that's got to go on before I'm topping somebody, and it was so that it was just very flippant and surprised me. And so like the conversations that we had were surprising to me, and 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 I've only gotten that from. The younger generation, I, I found that people who are older, even new to the community still, but still, say, in their 40s or beyond, um, tend to find one person and try all the new stuff with them and stay with that one person until they've found it. So I was just a little surprised at the amount of, oh, God, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it was somewhat nonchalant. Hmm. Well, um, speaking as someone, I think I'm right on the cusp of 
some of the of the uh, younger generation there. I uh, I actually see it well. First and foremost, I go to a lot of events, and I do have a primary partner, um, so she's she's my main. Um, but I do go to a lot of events, and I do tend to play just do play scenes with people, mostly just because I'm there, and you know I'm going to be leaving soon. Because it's fun, and picket play is fun. <laughs> yeah, and I do have a handful of people that I do play with regularly, and I don't really expect much in return. Um, they they just want to play. And I do see a lot of the younger generation not wanting to be in those DS roles. It's just more tops and bottoms. Yes, maybe that's it. Less DS and more top and bottom. Yeah, and and we've we've tried putting on courses on classes on say you know high protocol, which I'll be honest with you, at least in my local area, bombed terribly. No, none of the kids wanted to come. Wow. They they were just like, no, you know we're. They did, well, some of them came to the class, and then we threw a high protocol party. And I think we had five staff members and two paid attendees, so it was like there was more staff than attendees at the event. I guess the attendees were well taken care of. <laughs> yeah, they, we definitely were. We we had two DMs for each person. It was great. Oh wow! Um, no rule breaking for sure, but a lot of them do see it in a more casual light, and I do think that as you get older in more experience in the scene, I guess. Um, you'd start to want those kind of things, but just coming right in, I, I don't expect like a newbie, even any age, coming in right at the beginning saying, you know, I want to be a slave immediately. You know, they want to try things out and then find the right person and then do that. Yeah. I would compare it even to uh, like, you know, the mar- you know, marriage. I mean, younger generations getting married older and older now, whereas it used to be a lot earlier. That's true. That's very true. And I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's, it was just, it was somewhat surprising to me. And maybe because I took, you know, I, I took a, a gap year, whatever. And so it's almost like I left the frying pan for a while and now I'm jumping back into the boiling water and I realize the water is boiling. The only things that bothered me were the, there was like the one thing that, re- like I had a conversation with somebody who was talking about doing a scene and in that scene, they had a, a consent violation, which made me twitch because I'm like, who did this? And, and I need to hurt them um, and they need to not be around anymore. Because to me, using that word consent violation, that's strong. You say that about somebody and they need to know that they are not welcome in my home. They're not welcome at my play parties until I know that this is not an issue. And when I kept speaking to the person, they were like, well, you know, well, no, I, I'd play with them again. We'd just have to have a conversation with them. I'm like, then how is it a consent violation? Because a consent violation is somebody did something that you said no. You you said no in a scene, and that's dangerous. If you're okay with that, that's dangerous. And so that term scared me that they were willing to use that term because to me that that other people are going to hear that, and that term is a very strongly worded term. So I was like, uh, I can't hear that. I can't know that that person did that and be okay with it. So that that hurt me. But I, I may, and maybe I just need to understand that I need to learn to listen to what somebody's saying more and before I make a conclusion when I hear that. So i gotta, I got to learn the new language. <laughs> I think in, in that particular context, it was... It, 
yeah, the word consent violation is more that that person did something that obviously we that we negotiated they didn't. Now the bigger question is is if you said, hey, we said not to do that, did they stop? Is the bigger question. Um, if they did not stop, if they just kept doing it, then of course that is a consent violation. We would probably excise them from the scene. Um, but if it was just, you know, I, I, there's been like occasions where I've played with people, for example, and they said like, you know, please don't touch my belly button or something like that. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with them and I accidentally touch their belly button. They go, no, like, oh yeah, I, I'm sorry. I play with a lot of people. I, that was one part that I had forgotten. And then sometimes I'll even take a, like a Sharpie and, you know, put an X through their belly button, like do not touch here kind of thing. Um, hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> a little mistake here and there, you know, happens. Uh, do, um, and some people have been like, you know, hey, you know, this time, please don't do that. I, uh, that was something we had talked about. Oh, yeah, I am so sorry. And then, of course, I make steps. Similar to what we talked about with GLLA. I, I, I got accused of something and I took steps and I fixed it and everything's fine. Um, yet I can see where that definition could be called a consent violation because we had decided not to do that and then it accidentally happened. But again, the bigger question is, did they use their words and say, I told you no, and did I did the person continue doing that? And if they did, then kick them out of the scene. Right. Um, but a little, little mistake here and there, it happens sometimes. Yes. As um, long as it's nothing permanent. Right, as long as my arms are all still attached. Yeah. <laughs> And as long as that person learns from the experience and then I, I actually keep dossiers on people I play with uh, regularly so that when I'm about to head out for the scene, I open it up and go, OK, this is these are my little bullet points. They don't like this. They want this. Tells me what toys to pack and what toys not to pack if I'm playing. Um, and I even keep it on my phone so I can just go, OK, Sarah, she likes this, this and doesn't like. OK, so leave that toy at home. That kind of thing. It just, it just takes uh, it takes time. But if I kept doing the same thing, then, yeah, definitely kick me out. <laughs> okay, so this is how much of a nerd I am. Okay. Uh, I, so I also keep a little dossier on the people that I play with and, and the things they like and the things they don't. Um, but I got from Firefly one of the companion booklets, and I put it in there. So it's my little red companion booklet from Firefly. <laughs> oh, I wish that show would come back. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I I actually I run a media server and I actually tease people cuz I I have of course Firefly on there, but then I added uh season 2 and uh and Oh, oh. <laughs> and each of the episodes, I just I did Rickroll videos for each one. Um but I gave it the same number of episodes, and I was like, you know, uh, uh, Shepherd's Origins. That was one of the episodes, and you know, all the all the questions we never asked, and and I, I even wrote, you know, synopsis of each episode. And it's like I've, I've had some people send me some rather nasty letters about. That. Oh God, that would hurt, and and yet I would probably still look at every single one of them, <laughs> just to see if I found the lost episodes. Right, somewhere. exactly. Uh... It's it's fun. Mm. Well, Amy, I really appreciate talking with you. And are you ready to answer some viewer questions? I sure am. Awesome. Our first question comes to us from Tim in Wisconsin. And he writes, I am thinking about running for a leather title. I've been in the community for a number of years, and it sounds like a good thing to do. I think I can do good work during my title year. My question is, what should I know going in? Oh, my gosh. There's so much you should know. But I would have to say, find a trusted friend or partner to be with you. 
it's an emotional journey when you do this. And especially if you win. To have that person or or family member or friend or uh, even if it's a few people, to have them with you while you're going through this to help you in your ups and downs. Con crash is a thing, and especially as, when you run for a title. So I have to say find somebody that you can partner with and, and that can be there with you, that can be your traveling companion while you're doing this stuff. It's tough. It's a It's tough. <laughs> And Tim, I can tell you from my own title experience um, that you should prepare. And for lack of a better word, I feel that perhaps I did not prepare enough. I was running unopposed, so I didn't think it was needed. I, I didn't think I needed to prepare enough. But my biggest complaint about that title year, admittedly, my own fault, I should have prepared more. But I couldn't get anyone to assist me in any way, um, either former title holders or, or anybody who could wrangle me uh, and help me out. So I admit I went in a lot more or a lot less prepared than I should have been. But the biggest question or the biggest thing you should prepare for is prepare for that unexpected. At least my judges tended to want to throw me for a loop. They... Uh, as an example, when I first walked into for the interview, they were all naked and they were playing the Imperial Death March. <laughs> That's amazing. And so as I walked in, I had no idea what was going on. I would I thought I had prepared enough, but now I'm being interviewed by a bunch of naked people. Like, um, I mean, I've seen you all naked, so it's no surprise, but that was a little disconcerting. Um, also... As much as I hate to say it, be prepared to stroke the egos of former title winners, at least in my experience. Oh my gosh, yes. They're going to ask you what year they won. They're going to ask you to... The one that, that, that threw me for a loop is tell me something that's not on my presenter bio or my FetLife profile. Ouch. And I was like, uh, what? Like, oh, you're supposed to be Facebook stalking us. Like, really? Like... Oh boy. Um, okay. I mean, I could pull you up on Facebook right now, but uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be asking questions about all the judges. And so these are things I think if I had somebody else who had actually been doing it, I would have known. Oh my gosh, yes. You research your title history. Know the contest that you are going into. Find out who the judges are and know who those judges are. Um, when, when I ran for International Puppy... Um, I was competing against a Canadian person. And uh, so we had a good time with that, just in the fact that my name's the puppy Fifi, and that's kind of French, and he was French-Canadian. We just had some fun with that. But uh, I put out flyers at the bar that said, Lost Puppy, have you found me? And, oh, that was just a hit with the judges. So find your thing. And make it yours. Um, I'm a circus poodle. That is mine. That is always going to be mine. That's what I'm. people know me as. Make something, find your thing and make it yours. And don't let go of it. And have fun with it. it I know that it's a stressful time. I know that you're going to be running around like crazy. Um, but 
try to have fun with it. If you have to step away, step away, but obviously try to be out there as much as possible, talking to people, shaking hands. When the event is over, you can go crawl into a hole and just shake for, for hours on end if you need to. But try to be, I mean, the one thing they told me is just like stay hydrated, stay fed, um, because you have a tendency to want to keep working and working and trying to impress the judges and you might neglect certain things such as, you know, food and hygiene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't overextend yourself, but at the same time, be prepared. And start preparing early if you can. Don't cram it in at the last week if you if you can help it. Well, Tim, I hope that answers your question. And good luck on your title run. We need more people running for titles. That's been kind of a declining thing as of late. Yes. Make, get out there. Be proud of who you are. Let us all see that. Our next question comes to us from Jet from Massachusetts. And he writes, The kink community has given me so much. I see people running events and I want to help. What is the best way to approach doing this? I want to give back. And are there any downsides for doing so? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Every event I attend asks for volunteers. Um, at this point, I tend to not attend events that I'm not volunteering at. I have made it a point, though, to schedule an event that I, I'm not volunteering at. So next year I'm going to an event specifically that I'm not volunteering at. But I attend events, and I, all I do is I go on the website. I see where their volunteer forums are. I find out who's running the events. I've asked people, you know, hey, what do you need? There are total benefits to it. Sometimes it gets you into the event free. Sometimes it doesn't get you into the event free but at a discounted price, which is fine. Sometimes you don't work a lot of hours. But there are events where I've worked a lot of hours, However, at the same time, sometimes that's not necessarily a downside. You may not attend the same things you think you were going to attend, like you may not go to the education classes. But the people that I've met volunteering and working at events have helped me get to explore even more of the kink community. I have done room shares at events with people that I didn't know and who have now become friends of mine that I travel to see every year. So volunteering opens doors and gives you the opportunity to meet new people that you didn't think you'd meet. The title holders that I've been able to shake hands with and say hello to and go out and have a lunch with away from the event. The people that I've been able to call up and say, hey, listen, I'm stranded in Atlanta for the night. Can I, is there some place I can stay? And I've had doors open to me on many occasions, because I've put myself out there and said, hey, let me help at your event. So it's not hard to find an event that wants volunteers. Most of them have a volunteer tab on their website, or if you look at events, what's going on, the About Us section, you know, do you want to volunteer? And if they don't, I send them an email. But you can volunteer not just at an event, you can volunteer by being a speaker and sign up to teach a class if you feel that you're proficient in a topic or have a topic that you feel needs to be discussed more. There's so many ways that you can volunteer. I volunteered one year and helped vendors pick up stuff from around and I stored stuff at my house until the event. So, I mean, sometimes just the little things help people in huge ways. And I can certainly speak to presenting being a good option in general. There is always a lack of presenters across the country. 
on Fat Life, there's a whole group called BDSM presenters and educators, for example, and there's always they're looking for people to to teach classes. But a downside to that is when you first start off presenting, if you're going to anything out of state, you're usually not going to get anything covered except maybe entrance to the event. So you're going to be spending, you know, flights, hotels, food. It's going to be, uh, it's not a cheap thing. Plus you're taking time off of work probably since, you know, most cons are are uh, Friday through Sunday. Although a lot of them now have been starting on Wednesday. Yes. Which I'm just like, uh, like, the, and I, I actually had one that said, we know we need you here Wednesday night. Like, you seriously like you want me to take three days off of work to to come to your event uh, uh, and what are you covering an entrance to the event man that's a lot of money i'm losing there <laughs> so there are some downsides to presenting obviously volunteering though even at your local dungeons local events they usually need people a lot of people in the community are there just to play and that's fine they don't want to help. They want to play. They, they're there to enjoy themselves. They're paying to be there. But as a result, they always need people. And usually the shifts that can't get covered are those late night shifts. I remember running events and it was the closing DMs I always had trouble with because my events happened to be on the weekday. And, you know, you're we're saying, OK, I need you from 11 to 1. Like, well, I got work at 7 a.m. Like, well... You know, I'm sorry. I need people. I, this is either that or we have to close the event. And so you're going to be giving up a lot of your time, but you're going to get so much back in return. I found my most rewarding experiences have been just working like the registration table at events because you get to see everybody. Everybody sees you as somewhat of the face of the event and you get to meet everybody pretty much personally, including the presenters. And similar to what you said, Amy, I've had presenters tell me like when I go to their cities, you know, hey, I would, you know, is there somewhere I can, can you give me some recommendations? You know, where can I stay? And I've stayed at presenters houses before they've said, you know, yeah, why don't you come stay with me? I mean, I know you, you're, you're okay. Awesome. Or I've had all kinds of just great experiences in general where a presenter's coming to town and, and I recently got to sit down and have lunch with a, a national presenter and it was just amazing. I mean, we didn't talk about kink. We just sat down, had a normal conversation and it was a lot of fun. So volunteering will seriously open doors and get you noticed a lot faster in the community than you would be if you're just a participant. People will see what you can do and they will, the more you volunteer, the more they're going to ask of you and the more you should give. And eventually you'll just be known as the volunteer. You'll be doing everything and you'll get to just experience everything. And it's a wonderful way to experience the community, to be frank with you. And, and and I will say, it has gotten me an immense amount of uh, new play partners. <laughs> because when they see you out there in the community, and you have the opportunity to flirt with people, you didn't wouldn't necessarily have much of an opportunity to flirt with. Oh, yes. The enjoying times in dungeons that I've had before and after volunteer sessions have been have been great. <laughs> That's a bonus. <laughs> And yeah, I, I equate that to, I call it the kinky background check. So if, if people see you out there volunteering, you immediately gain a little bit of credibility and prestige and people will assume rightfully so that you're safer than other people, that kind of thing. So if you're looking to get play partners, it's a great way to add to your resume. That's for sure. All right. Well, Jet, I really hope that helps. And thank you very much for wanting to help and give back to the community because it really means a lot to everyone in the community. 
And our last question comes to us from Kayla from Washington. And she writes, I want to learn more about electrical play. However, I am from a very small town and the closest event is several hours away. What are my options? Is the internet a good option? You might be able to answer this pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, because electrical play is still considered edge play. It's a riskier way to play. It's a riskier item because there are lots of ways to do it. Ten years ago, I would not have said the internet is a good option. I will say that there are more resources out there and more people who have actually put things out on YouTube so you can see it. Now, electrical play, you're not going to know the ins and outs of it until you actually do it or are with somebody who is doing it and get to experience it. So electrical play demos, unfortunately, are, are not very often. There aren't many electrical play demos ever because it is considered edge play. It's a riskier type of play. But I would say it, it's worth looking at YouTube videos, looking at there are books available that talk about it. There are people that talk about TENS units and the pros and cons of them on a medical sense and what you can do with them. I mean, there are literally you Google electrical play and can find many different sites that have talked about it. So, I mean, I am... So electrical play is one of those things that I uh, I don't do because, I mean, I'll, I'll do it on a very small scale and I'll do it when I'm told I need to do it. <laughs> but electricity runs through me from point to point. Like it will drop me to my knees in a heartbeat. So I always, I would definitely say start with a violet wand of, of the electrical type of play that is the one that can be used the most gentle. But if you, like, don't walk in with a taser. That's, that's like, don't do that. <laughs> that's not fun. I mean, unless you're, right? I mean, like, if you want to be dropped to the ground in a heartbeat, go for it. But definitely research what it's going to do. And if you can find somebody who has a violet wand and you want to start at a low setting and use it on yourself. When I have tried electrical play, I've done it on myself to start with. There are so many different utensils to play with a violet wand. So if you want to try electrical play, definitely do your research. If you can find somebody who's experienced at it, even go out on FetLife and find somebody who talks about electrical play and just start asking the questions of them. I can't say that I am skilled at it because, to be honest, the electrical play scares the bejesus out of me. It runs through me from top to bottom, and I'm like, ah, in a corner. But I've, I've done it, and, and I have had experiences where I very much enjoyed it because the person that I was doing it with was very skilled at it. So you can find somebody. They don't even need to be local to you to have the chat online with. But truly, electric play is one of those ones that you're just not going to know until you do it. It's hard to explain how it feels, and it you need to make sure you're playing safe. So as much information as you can get beforehand, I, I recommend that wholeheartedly. I agree. And while electrical play is somewhat edge play, and it is, here's just some basic things. I'm an electrical player myself. So I, I kind of, I, I know how this all started. The, the big thing you just need to understand is don't shock the eyes and don't stay in one place for too long. Usually I tell people to avoid the head, but other than that, it's not 
as dangerous to try on yourself. So get a violet wand. And what I'd recommend there is, as much as I hate saying this, the cheapest options are not the sex shops or even places like violetwand.com. The best place to get it, at least in my experience, is Electrotechnics. Electrotechnics is the company that actually makes the devices. And then the sex shops buy them and then label them as sex toys and, and sell them again uh, for a little markup. So if you're looking for a cheaper option, I, I would definitely go there. Uh, you can get them for about $250 each and the attachments for 10 So you are looking at a slight upfront expense if there's nobody around you that has one. So, you know, 300 bucks, you know, with shipping and everything else, you, you can get what you need. But try it out on yourself for sure. Use it on your arm, your leg, whatever. You don't have to move like a crazy person across their body. You know, you're not just, you're not skipping across the skin. You can literally just move it at a slow, brisk pace. Just don't stay in one spot too long. If you start to see redness develop, then don't hit that spot anymore. Feel the skin. If it's getting warm, don't hit that spot anymore. And as you start figuring out where things feel better, uh, what areas are more sensitive, for example, like if you shock someone on the sides, they're going to jump. And if you hit them on the chest with the same amount, they're not. Or if you hit them on the nipple, they're going to jump. Things of that nature. You will slowly figure this out. Ideally, yes, you want somebody to teach you. And yes, there are plenty of great YouTube videos out there and just instructional videos. I think even uh, kink.com has their kink university, which is an option as well. And they, they actually make pretty good videos for a porn site. I was actually very impressed. Uh, <laughs> But I can feel you for the whole small town. But I think your best option of all is to either get one or make plans with somebody at one of those events that's several hours away and just dedicate the night to learning about Violet Wand. I know it's a long trip. I, I feel you. I used to drive two hours to get to my dungeon a long time ago. Thankfully, I don't do that anymore. But back in the day, I used to drive two hours there and back. So that was fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was needed. I couldn't, in the local place where I was, there was no chance that I was going to find anybody. It was a very conservative state, and I didn't think that I'd find anybody that would be willing to, or who even did this kind of stuff. So I had to travel somewhere that was a lot more open to it. And I did get a lot of training from those people. And believe me, any kinkster that's worth their salt who likes a type of play will go out of their way to teach you about it because they want to make more of them. They want to have more of what they enjoy. So you put a post out, you know, get somebody ahead of time before you make that long drive, and then make that drive and learn from them. Uh, for, and I think you'll be better off for it. It's the best option, I think. Definitely. It's worth it. It's worth spending the time by re to reach out to somebody and go because uh, I currently live in... South Bend, Indiana. I have to drive two hours to get to any dungeon, and I'm if I want to do something like that, I'm driving somewhere to do it, and it's worth it. Well, Kayla, yeah, just get out there, talk to people, find someone who has one, buy one yourself if you if you have to. It's not a tremendously difficult style of play to master once you actually have the equipment. And with a little practice, you'll you'll be a lightning bug just like the rest of us. So, well, Amy, I think we've answered all the questions pretty well. What do you think? I think we did a good job tonight. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. I I I'm sad that we didn't get to meet up at GLLA, but I think this is a good consolation prize, right? 
Yes. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. I've had a great time. You are very welcome. And as always, stay kinky, my friends. Check us out on the web at kinkinthejane.com. Follow us on Twitter at KinkJaneShow or call us at 804-404-KINK. We don't bite unless you ask nice. Have feedback or want to submit a question for a future show? Send your emails to podcast at kinkinthejane.com.